was watching Ben Chilwell pull his hamstring and then carried the tunnel and he was practically dead yeah when he had passed away like that, that word was used oh, it's, a, it's a tragedy subscribe now to the OTB football podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB sports app the football show on off the ball with Sky watch every live Premier League game this season on Sky Sports BT Sport and Premier Sports I'm prepared to end it my can well, do it then do it then what about your start to the game I was, it wasn't bad was it <laughs> why should there be an honest answer be a mistake how can a modern day manager not have a mobile phone why should he oh. now welcome along football show Dan McDonald here in studio of the Irish Independent you're very welcome hi Joe you have hightailed it from Shelburne Derry City FAI Cup Final Media Day mm. this afternoon Damien Duff in great form you tell me well, I said he was in great he was in chatty form uh, did a lot of interviews went went along the lines um, uh, sort of I think but not in great form then you're clarifying no no he wasn't he was, he was in good form you know good form, good form. not great um, form but like sort of uh, he was he was he was open enough mm-hmm. you know about his feelings around the week and and uh, People will will see this pop up, you know, in various places, at various times. But um, the overall general atmosphere, and like this is, it's it's this is something he said before, so it's not a breaking some embargo. But like he, he is genuinely talking about this as like you know one of the biggest days of his football life. Yeah. He's standing over that opinion that he put out there before the uh, the Waterford semi final that this is up there with Anton because he's taking a risk. He's out of his comfort zone. He never saw himself in this position. Um, and he's and he's doing it like and you step back from it like like anything uh, uh, I I think the news cycle moves so fast in everything now that something is a story like around a year ago this time Damien Duff was appointed and everyone was like oh my god Damien Duff is managing and then you just get used to it it just becomes the norm like it ceases to become a sort of a, a major talking point every week but you do step back from it sometimes and you think of like what a beloved figure Damien Duff was as a player what a big you know World Cup 2002 big moments in your life he's sort of you, you associate and he's he's sort of the manager of a League of Ireland side standing on the Aviva on Sunday and it's kind of yeah who ever saw him in that position mm. like you know never one that was like he'll go down that road and and that's why there's a great there still is people maybe think there's too much about him and I can understand that um, but it is because he's genuinely a box office name and and uh, and he's involved in our national final on Sunday, which is, I think, a good thing for the game. Three o'clock kickoff. Numbers good? I think they're up uh, over 28,000 tickets sold at the moment. Um, last year's final, Bowes Pats, was the first post COVID one. I think that was 37,000 in the end. Uh, now, I think actually the sales apparently are tracking on a similar enough, uh, you know, at this time last year, it probably would have been similar enough. Now, um, two Dublin clubs last year. Uh, I, I'd be pleasantly surprised if they got to the levels of, of, of last year in terms of numbers but um, weather is kind um, there's the, I think the Premier League on Sunday is okay but it's not like a massive sort of you know I think they wanted a low enough profile weekend I think before Qatar no heavyweight clashes on the Sunday I think was part of the thing so um, I don't know maybe across the week the more discussion there is around it and the tough aspect and, and um, okay Derry are bringing a huge crowd apparently Um so yeah I mean I don't know like it's not our job um, people sometimes think in, in media like it's it's your job to promote the game it's not our job to promote the game um, I wouldn't promote it if I didn't think it would be any good um, but I think that uh, I think there's enough storylines and good players involved that I think if people are 
are looking to go to a good stadium to watch a game on a Sunday afternoon you could do a lot worse than uh, make your way to the Aviva I think um, and there's a little bit you know the sides have had some tough battles tight battles this year some good players involved on either side so I hope it to be a good final but then I've talked up a lot of the cup finals and then invariably you end up in a penalty shootout sure. after a tense 120 minutes I can't I can't deny that that's a, a scenario you could see happening here nobody you know? wants to mis- make a mistake and all those cliches yeah. genuinely do come into effect Derry the favourites presumably they are yeah they um, they had a bit of an unfortunate one on Sunday where the the last round of the League of Ireland games were on Sunday and it was an utterly meaningless round of fixtures there was nothing at stake you know like the, all the issues in terms of league Europe relegation done dusted um, and Derry rested a number of their players um, for their game against Dundalk but one of the ones they didn't rest this guy uh, Sadu Diallo is ex-Man City uh, academy player new to Ireland this year very good a lot of people wouldn't have seen him that's even league fans mightn't have seen too much of him got himself sent off on Sunday and he's out of the final now mm. um, that was unfortunate nice. um, and he's a sort of a, a really strong midfield presence um, he's become a big part of their side so that's a blow there's no doubt about it um, but Derry still will be the favourites um, you know they have players shells of a minimal cup final experience um, I think you know Duff brought his players you know to look at, even look at the stadium earlier this week just to get a favour for it Patrick McElhenney from the dock or from Derry apologies but uh, had a long spell at the dog. I think it's its eighth cup final, so there'd be quite a few players in the Derry dressing room. Um, not not a huge amount, but there'd be s- several who'd be very experienced in these days. And I mean, they finished way ahead of Shells in the league. Like they were second. I think Shells ended up down in seventh in the end. Um, um, but the games between them have all been tied. I mean, in Shells this year, they were the first team to beat Derry, and they also were the team who got the result to draw up in Derry a couple of weeks ago which sort of ended Derry's title challenge so they've been a little bit of a, a thorn on their side this year Yeah If Shells don't win and they finish seventh in the table what kind of a first innings for that is Duff? Still good Yeah yeah, Still good okay. um, From where they've come like, I mean to be fair right I mean they're probably finishing according to their budget probably like the, you know the three clubs below them um would all be paying considerably less their squads um, so they haven't like outperformed um, you know their their sort of parameters if they win the cup that would be the case you know they would be outperforming um, overperforming maybe relative to spend but I think it's more the sense that maybe maybe people sort of thought uh, he'll he'll jack it in here you know this won't last he's too combustible for this um, whereas actually if you watch Shells across the year there has been a pattern of improvement there um, he's brought in some younger players across the year who are clearly improving you know that have uh, they've they've sort of uh, they've come along and clearly under the coaching team have, have improved as players maybe some other players have fallen by the wayside but um it looks like a team that you think, yeah, not necessarily always translating to their results, but you can look at them and go, yeah, they have a bit of an identity. Um, they know what they're doing uh, and they're going to get better. Okay. And I think they will spend more over the winter, whatever happens here, and uh, they will be better. Yeah, I think you see, I think you'll, I think the job, I mean, you were speaking about it today, I think it's, it's, it's been very demanding um, and it's a demanding, exacting environment, but I, I think he'll be around there for a while. Okay, well, that's three o'clock Sunday, Shelburne, Derry City, FAI Cup final at the Aviva Stadium. And don't let those rugby types mess up the pitch. 
Saturday. Oh yeah, they probably will, won't they? Yeah. Oh, give it a good Fiji shoeing. Fiji on Saturday though. Give it a yeah. good shoeing. It's an early kickoff on Saturday. It gives you a bit more time to sort of yeah. manage. I was down there today. They had the lighting over the pitch. You know, I don't know if you've been on Diaviva on a on a non-match day, but they're always they're always minding the grass as much as they can. But There's not much sunlight. Then these people just come along and. But the Irish rugby team now a bit. These people. <laughs> but is the Irish rugby team now a little bit better to watch now though? Like you know, it won't be as. They're all big men. They'll be gliding a bit more than sort of still marauding their way around the place like they used to. Less ploddy. Yeah. But they'll still do a good number. Are they not the a little bit more likable now as in like they're not the team that stinks out the tournaments with like dreadful play but, but wins. Like they're well, more entertaining now. You tell me, you're the one who hates them. I don't hate them. Not at all. I mean, as I said, I'm mild, mild ambivalence. So like yeah, you know, I would have said it was more in the hatred. There. I don't know. I was I listen, I I'm Distaste. I'm, I'm around people who, who put on games and yeah, it's not it's not bad to watch on occasion, you know? <laughs> no, like, I'm just saying. I, I think it's actually harder. This is a complete tangent, but like, isn't it? Isn't it just harder as you get older to pick up new hobbies and new sports? You become more set in your ways. Do you know what I mean? Like you have to watch all array of sports for, for you know, for your work or whatever. Mm-hmm. But when it comes down to it, you don't have time to keep up with everything that you'd like to. If I even wanted to get into rugby now, how could I even? Where, where would you find the time to do it to learn the nuances? It's gone. I'm just <laughs> going to stick with football, golf, and racing. I'm happy. That'll do. Uh, you did a story which people were very interested in this week. Minimum wage introduced into the League of Ireland as of next season. So minimum wage coming in, €430 Euro per week uh, for full-time pros, 20 and over. Part-time pros, 130 per week. Had this been in the offing for some time? Yeah, I mean, it goes back to last April. These talks have been ongoing, but this is pretty significant. You know, there's, there's a lot of things. I, I was writing a piece about it this morning Um like the last couple of years here, and it's again, it's like, you know, we, we've been so busy with so many things going on in the world the last couple of years, but like the Brexit thing, stopping players from going to the UK until they're 18, like huge, like, like probably the most significant thing to happen football here in generation. Yeah. And now you have the situation where a minimum wage has been brought in, um, as you mentioned, and it's sort of, we are moving towards um, like a, a basically, a, certainly at the top division here, like, proper sort of full-time professionalism the question mark is and there's been a lot of you know response and feedback to this story are we ready for it you know is this the the the, the, the skeptical view of this from clubs who are who don't have a huge amount of cash is like yeah i can see in theory this is a good thing um it's a bad thing that you're trying to you know proclaim players as professionals full-time professionals with no other income and they're getting like 150 quid a week like that's and you know, if if you're if you're not doing particularly well, the rules allow p- clubs to just keep retaining them at that wage. And like, what do you do? Um, so it's the right thing to aspire towards to have a sort of a proper, in an expensive country, to try and have a sort of a a, a guaranteed wage for like full time players. But clubs would say, well, we're not ready for this in some cases, and we're just going to have to sign fewer players. Um, or now, what will clubs do? Will they? You know, you're waiting to see what the loopholes that people will look to exploit. Will they keep more players on amateur contracts, which are still allowed, pay them travel expenses and say, well, you're not that good relative to other players. If you do well, we'll give you one of these contracts. You know, it's not as if everyone in the league is suddenly going to be earning this. Okay. Um, but it is moving towards sort of saying uh, it's it's widening the gap between the, the haves and, and the have-nots. Like, for example, I, I don't want to get bogged down in the detail of this because there is a lot of detail in it, but um, 
for example, like uh, even with the part-time players who are who have a smaller wage, it would be pretty normal, standard uh, culture here that they would only be paid from the minute that the season starts. So you could come in and do a pre-season of like six to eight weeks with a club, train however many days a week, and you don't get paid until the first week of the season and crowds start coming to your games. And then if you get knocked out of the cup and you have no game that week, you might not get paid that week. And all these things were sort of allowed based on individual arrangements. Now this has all been streamlined a bit that even those players are paid from the first day of pre-season till the end of November and and you'd probably at times over the years we've had people on here about getting paid 38 weeks or 40 weeks or 42 weeks now it's pretty much going to be at least 11 months and in a lot of cases sort of 12 months no matter where they are um, so it is a move towards trying to create some kind of uh, industry here but again I would speak to people in clubs and I have in the last couple of weeks who would say, again, I'm repeating myself a bit, this is all great, this is all fine, but we've been hearing messages from the FAI in the last couple of years, there's funding coming, we've we're making, we've got good relationships with government, there's, there's stuff coming around the corner here, and they haven't seen that yet, yet these new regulations are coming in, and that's some of the, the, the pushback you're going to get, but I mean, players are delighted with this, and I think it's, uh, I think it's a positive thing, but not without its quirks so 430 per week minimum wage if that's paid across 52 weeks yeah. then we're talking 22,000 euro yeah. plus uh, 360 on the side so 22,360 euro again anyone living in Dublin or any part of the country is going to struggle on 22,300 yeah. uh, 60 not least if they have family to support as well so still not a huge amount of money what percentage do you suspect of League of Ireland players were getting less than 22 grand a year across 52 weeks as things stand. Well, I think a lot of clubs that are probably paying 50, proper 52 weeks, like, like some like Shamrock Rovers, for example, I can't imagine, I'd say most players, senior players there are earning more than that, right? You know, um, and this is the thing, the ones that wouldn't be would probably be younger players who are unproven, who would be like 17, 18 on professional deals but it's probably easy to for them to be on small enough money because they haven't proven themselves. Now, like that's actually where a lot of this momentum has come from. I'm not talking about Rovers here because I think their conditions will be quite good, but in other places, young lads being signed as professionals on... Um, you know, on 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 a pittance. You know, but, they, so, but so, I would presume they can still be signed as part-time professionals on 130 minimum per week. Uh, well, at a full-time club, that's a bit of a grey area because if they're being asked to train the same number of days as the full-time players, um, but then no, they're clearly full-time. Like, but what's you know? to stop the club saying to the young player? Yeah, we can only sign you on these terms. Take it or leave it. That's that's and this is where this is where I've, I feel that there's going to be more issues of of this you know, of this nature next year, what is the definition of a full-time player and what is the definition of a part-time player? You know, is it just if they have a second job or not? Or, you know, there was a there was a debate around this, again, I know of one club where part of the discussion was, like, how many hours a week do you commit to football? Is it just your time on the pitch or is it your travel there and back? And I think one club is trying to argue, well, it's just when they're on the pitch, it's like, well, I don't know, if you have to travel X amount of hours to get there, that's yeah. part of your working day. Yeah. And this is the thing, like, I mean, this granular detail in some ways is it's sort of embarrassing to be having those discussions, but that's because clubs naturally are cash strapped and at every corner they're trying to save every 
penny they can but to back to your point I didn't really answer your question about the percentage of, of players like I would imagine because there's, there's the, you mentioned like 20 and over is 430 it's tiered so for 19, 18, 17 year olds it's like maybe 280 330, 380 but I would imagine that most young players in that bracket in this league other than the really handful of like very exceptional ones I'd say nearly all of them would be on below that threshold you know what I mean? Like, as in, I think a lot of the 17, 18 year old young professionals in the country, unless they're really good ones who are going, like, you were in the first team already and going places. I'd say for all of those players, it's going to be a, a pay rise now, or they just won't get those contracts. Um, at Premier Division level, yeah, there would be quite a few full time players earning um, less than 430 a week, definitely. And I've certainly I've heard in the last week or two, Clubs have already started uh, offering contracts to players for next season on 430 a week. Players who previously would not have been getting that amount. Okay. It would have been, you know, I'd say like something like That's 300, good. 350 type thing. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Not, I'm not saying there's a dramatic Life changing aspect. But there would be players in the league who this would be 430. I think there's a handful of them. Or, you know, this would be doubling or maybe in some cases tripling what they would have been on. And it's this has been brought in to stop the practice of clubs having professionals on really non-professional deals. You know, professionals in name only, but not in wage. Okay. Um, and it's a big step and it's generated a bit of debate. You see FIFPro, the Global Players Union, are talking about this and other countries that don't have a minimum wage are asking... Um, you know, should we be should we be introducing this? So um, it is quite a significant thing, yeah. Okay. What's the ceiling wage wise in the league? Um, there will be players in the league earning, uh, I uh, probably three grand a week territory. Yeah, there will be. Yeah, um, no one will tell you that they are. Every club will tell you they're paying less than that. Um, and so in some cases, you might have sponsors or various people helping out. But um, oh no, there would be multiple players in the league earning. Uh, sort of above a thousand euro a week. Like I think you, you, this is what I'm saying. Like this won't change things for probably reasonably established full time players. Really, it's more the ones that are younger starting off yeah. who want to get into the game. They're the ones who generally find themselves um, in, a, in you know offering very offer very poor money. But I think like I've heard tales this wi- this winter so far of you know middle of the road players who are established enough but not superstars going to clubs and looking for around 1200 1400 quid a week that's like the market rate for an okay um, established enough Premier Division player but yeah there would be some blue chip ones in a league context who would be definitely north of two and a half per week definitely yeah okay uh, we'll take a short break I want to talk to you about a few stories Seth Bladder and Katie McKay both talking about Qatar today one will be watching one won't and Martin O'Neill is in the headlines over the past week or so. His book serialised and had interesting comments about how he felt he was perceived as a northerner in Irish football. So we'll come to that in just one moment. All the football coverage and off the ball is brought to you by Sky. All the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. Back in one second. Football on Off The Ball With Sky Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, EFL, Scottish Premiership and much more Live only on Sky Sports This is News Talk Football on Off The Ball With Sky Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, EFL, Scottish Premiership and much more. Live only on Sky Sports. This is News Talk. 
You're welcome back to the football show. Joe Malloy here, Don McDonald of the Irish Independent, alongside me. So I mentioned both Katie McCabe and Sepp Blatter are talking today about Qatar. Uh, Sepp's quotes, uh, um, well, catch the eye. He was speaking to a Swiss newspaper and the headline, which has gone around the world, Sepp Blatter, president of FIFA for 17 years, Qatar is a mistake. The choice was bad. He says... It's too small a country. Yeah, she sounds so convincing now as an anti-Qatar yeah. lobbyist. He really, he's making a strong argument against it. Generally, people get to that stage of like, you see, uh, I mean, I'm not going to name them, but like various politicians who've uh, been controversial figures, but then they sort of reach a certain point in their life where they become statesman-like yeah. as they get older. And you st- Are you meant to now forget all the other stuff? Look, Sepp Blatter here, the voice of sense yeah. on Qatar. So he says, it's too small a country. Football and the World Cup are too big for it. And he says, since then, as in since the initial bad cons- uh, decision, social considerations and human rights are taken into account. Uh, he will be watching the tournament from his home in Zurich, won't be attending. So Sepp Blatter, Qatar is a mistake, is the big headline. Yeah, Thanks for nothing, Sepp. Yeah, and he's, he's not rolling back on Russia 2018 being a mistake, he sort of said. And I, I, this does tally, to be fair. I think he, he did say that the plan was Russia 2018 and USA 2022. And I think in the reportage, of the people who were really on that, they did say that that was the bladder thing. Like, you know, he liked the idea of the, the, the almost the Cold War sort of east to west sort of, uh, you know, <laughs> Russia. Then let's give it to America, you know. Um, he really had a good feel for where geopolitics was going. Ah, listen, you know, he was, he was, he was all over that stuff. Um, but then he's, I think he's made some references to Infantino living in Qatar now. So there was a few little, oh. little digs in there as well. Um, but of course, you I mean, uh, there was obviously that French lobby that was very much involved in uh, the Qatar bid and and Platini and so on. So, mm. um, like like everything with Blatter, it's uh, it's wrapped in. That's a nice quote, but let's go back to the archive here and you know run over what happened at the time. And he does acknowledge a degree of responsibility because he was the president. It did happen on his watch, and here we are. You know, like on one hand. Um, we're talking about oh, there's there, you know there's that squad announcement today that, that looks interesting, you know. And then on the other hand, it's like, what are we doing? Like, what the hell's happening? You know. And that's that's uh, uh, every day there's a squad, every day there's another disgraceful story. Yeah, Katie McCabe then initially this afternoon uh, caused a flurry of headlines because the line from McCabe in this uh, press conference today, as part of Ireland's November training camp in Marbella. Uh, the centrepiece of which is a uh, friendly against Morocco, also going to the World Cup on the 14th of November. So she was speaking to the media uh, virtually, as I understand it, for maybe 25 minutes, half an hour. And the headline was that Katie McCabe said she would not play in a Women's World Cup were it to be held in Qatar. And that obviously was Mm. a strong line. Uh, Since then, that's been clarified. So it seems maybe there was a difficulty in hearing the question. And she interpreted the question as, are you going to Qatar this year to watch the World Cup. Will you be there physically Ah, in the next couple of weeks? To which he said no. So I think therein lies the confusion. And so you'll see on various articles now there's a clarification at the bottom of it. Uh, She was also asked at one stage, would she be watching the World Cup? She said, I won't have time to watch it, to be honest. We're straight back into Champions League football. It's uh, a fickle thing what's going on over there and the whole background around it. For me, if Ireland aren't in it, I don't really fancy it. So I think I'll be giving that one a miss. Um, 
she said then more broadly what's going on there isn't great not a good look for football but the decision has been made the World Cup's a world stage obviously Harry Kane wearing the rainbow captain's armband will be massive and I think it'll raise visibility within the key issues that are in Qatar right now and I hope other nations do that and take a stand while playing the games so that's just some of what Katie McKay was saying Mm. I mean on the not watching a point again I think that has been blown up into a an incredibly strong stance, whereas you read her comments, it is more really, well, Ireland aren't there. I'm busy. I'm busy, Champions League. It's it's less of a, a moral, philosophical stance as opposed to, you know, a few of those different uh, factors. So there are her comments um, this afternoon. Again, not quite the headline I think no. people had thought earlier on. No. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, like these, these, uh, these virtual events, I wasn't in it myself, so I don't know like how it's sort of played itself out but I mean it is it is something at the moment that no matter how FIFA protest and I want everyone to concentrate on the football any public figure um, is is going to be is going to have this question yeah. pitched away I think uh, There was no question it seems or certainly no answer about the Glasgow dressing room up the uh, situation I think maybe it was attempted to be asked once and then again there was a problem with a microphone and there was no follow up so I guess, is there a general acceptance this thing is put to bed? I mean, this is the first time the captain has spoken in the aftermath. Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's, it's, it's you know, it can be a weird thing to, like, you know, sit, us sitting here talking about a press conference you weren't in. Yeah. Um, but it would strike me as odd. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, as much as you can, uh, I think, you know, a captain of a team probably at some point addresses that issue. And even if, you know, you would imagine they have enough time to think about it to come out and give a pretty comprehensive response. I think if that's a sort of a good response, people probably will though. Yeah, fair enough. You know, there's a lot of um, support for them. But um, yeah, pretty big thing that happened. Um, Pretty significant thing that happened. So uh, certainly from this remove, what strike me as odd that it wasn't raised, yeah. Okay, maybe it's addressed again down the line in in some capacity. Um, Martin O'Neill's new book. Yes. So the headlines today, I mean, it's been serialised across several days. It was in the Sunday Times, for instance, at the weekend. But the, uh, I suppose, headline which grabbed the eye today was his perception of how he was treated. I was treated as an outsider, as Ireland boss, a figure you hate. This, an interview with Steve Bacon, it's in the Irish Independent as well as uh, the Independent across the water. So Martin O'Neill said... He felt he was treated as an outsider, his word, and, quote, a northerner when he was the manager of the Republic of Ireland. Uh, The piece says the subject is one of many addressed in O'Neill's new autobiography on days like these. He says that the Denmark result became a point for the Republic media to throw everything at you in terms of criticism. He says, though, it was kind of storing up a little bit. The truth is there were a number of times I was called the northerner or the outsider. And I was treated in many ways the same way as Trapattoni eventually became one of these figures you tend to hate. I think that was it. My persona didn't seem to fit with them throughout the time. And I'm even going back to the heavy criticism in the early stages of the 2016 European campaign when we were in the same group as Germany, Poland, Scotland and Georgia. I think if you're viewed as a bit of an outsider to begin with, then it's hard, regardless of results being okay, to win them back. That would be my thoughts on it. So he thought that he was viewed as an outsider to begin with. And from that point, it was at best a standing start that he had to try and win them back over with. 
Yeah, I think context is important here. This, the Stephen Beacon piece was actually a Belfast Telegraph interview, right? Okay. And the context for that is that the Northern Ireland job, there was a separate piece. The Northern Ireland job was up at the moment um, and he was asked about that. Okay. Um, and I suppose he, he played his international football for Northern Ireland and he, he wasn't ruling himself out of being interested in the job, um, the Northern Ireland job. And I don't know, in that discussion, um, is there an element of asserting a, 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 another side of your identity you know relative to that audience that's just my yeah. opinion uh, but that's the context just for where this comes from um, I covered the Martin O'Neill era from start to finish it was probably pretty much every press conference um, I'm not here to uh, like defend uh, the you know how, how media treated him but certainly uh, in my world his uh, him being a northerner um, was never a thing I don't recall it really being a discussion point or a, a sort of a flashpoint in any way. I suppose there might have been issues around the the recruitment of players, um, you know, born in, in sort of a, you know, he'd represent Northern Ireland at underage level. And that was probably uncomfortable for him. Um, but I don't really recall it being a, a big thing aside from that. This concept of him being an outsider, I don't I don't really get that vibe at all. Um I mean, I'm not really going to go into like internal. There, there would have been, I think, sometimes did probably would have grated with some people um, that like Martin Neal would be doing like interviews and doing stuff on the side with, uh, say, English media channels talking about how people in Ireland see them, and maybe that isn't. I never particularly had a problem with it because, like, if you have a good relationship with a couple of people and you're speaking to them, like, I honestly think your media complaining about that is is bizarre. But uh, maybe that sometimes led to people grumbling about uh, him in some ways but I I don't know that that doesn't really tell you. and I have to say like I actually um, I probably at times would have been described as being not too critical or being soft at times um, like I would have probably spent time with him at a couple of the World Cups I found him quite good company you know and I never really had a a, a mad issue with his press stuff until I suppose the, the latter year or so in the job and, and people would have seen some of his TV interviews with Tony O'Donoghue and I think that probably shaped a lot of public criticism towards him mm. I think mm. you know I, I don't know like yeah, people can people have everyone had their own opinion on that type of thing um, there's no doubt that he he was someone who was following what people were saying quite closely um, and I think that comes across in his book the book excerpts The Weekend seemed to largely be um you know, this is a match that happened. Here was the media response that happened. Here's, you know, here's how I responded to that. Uh, and there's an element of, well, in the end, I showed them type of thing. Now, I haven't read the book. I don't know how it deals with uh, the Denmark game and uh, his last year in the job and what happened. I'd be very interested to read that. Um, I do note, uh, just reading his interview with Matt Dickinson, that he, he wrote this himself, sort of handwritten notes, not working with a ghost who's like leading him in a particular direction, um, which sometimes you could say is a good thing, but sometimes you could say is a bad thing because I'd love to actually... Um, be able to put maybe more specific questions around certain things to get an insight into his view on certain things like criticism from Matt Doherty and people like that which clearly riled him I think he references Keith Andrews alright um, but I'd love him to maybe address some of the criticisms of his style I'm not sure if, if that is the case in this tome that has been produced but the broader point I just I don't I, I don't recall there being a, a tone of well, no, the issue is that he's some kind of 
outsider. I uh, I don't know. Now listen, walking mile in his shoes and all of that. Like I think at times, you know, did did Mick McCarthy feel there was issues towards him? You know, even his Irishness at times. And maybe there's a strand of discussion of your work that people can can find that feel that that might be the underlying issue um, behind certain criticisms. But I have to admit that didn't. I looked at that. I was like, that's odd. I don't know what do you like. Yeah, I don't know what do you do. You recall it being a big thing of, oh, there he is, the northerner. No, not in the slightest. I yeah, but that um, yeah. Not even in the slightest. Yeah, I don't think that the, was even. The only thing that gives me pause to say that is, as you said, walk a mile in his shoes. And it's interesting. He did say I mentioned in the book when I initially said it to Roy Keane that I was considered a bit of an outsider. He wasn't so sure to begin with, but as time wore on, he was absolutely convinced of it. So again, that gives me pause to say, well, what were they seeing or what were they perceiving that made him think that? But my sense of O'Neill is that when he got the job, there was huge celebration universally. This yeah. was a great appointment. Uh, I interviewed him on occasion and honestly, the first 15 minutes were spent talking about travelling down to Crow Park to watch his brother yeah. and his sense of Irishness. Now, not that that's a prerequisite to be accepted. I mean, if he was a Protestant unionist, then you know, maybe he might have sensed the cooling. It's not like, oh, you were OK because your brother played in Crow Park and you were of uh, dairy extraction. But it just further underlines the sense that I felt he was he was easily embraced. This wasn't Jack Charlton. No. Arriving over to go home Union Jack flags. Maybe the most beloved figure in Irish football is an English World Cup winner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I never, ever, ever sensed it. I think what went awry with O'Neill was the football. Uh, the increasing sense from within the camp, which spread out and, and, you know, word filters out to journalists and then uh, audience at large. And then Matt Doherty on radio to the effect that not enough was being done preparation wise on the training ground. Yeah, so that was the the big criticism. Uh, the Declan Rice situation. What was I'd, love to, I'd love that to have been addressed. What was going on with the Harry Arter row? How was business being done, uh, etc.? So all of those things became um, issues. And then I thought the interviews with Tony who showed somebody who was uh, thin skinned mm. and, and a, a little petty about the whole thing. And so all of that is what I think of when I think of the O'Neill era as it went on. I certainly don't think Martin O'Neill, the outsider coming in here to manage the football team. I, I genuinely no. never thought that, never felt that and never, never sensed it. I remember when he was appointed, and like, I, I don't mind saying it because I've I, I like uh, the t- one of the Luke Edwards wrote a piece in the Telegraph, which and I, I never let him forget it in the time that followed. That he actually wrote something when he was appointed, almost suggesting there might be you know some unease towards O'Neill in some ways because of like um, having I think you know many reference to having been a Catholic that played for Northern Ireland. I was like, no, that's not the that's not the the vibe in the ground here. And in fairness, like you know, Luke Tucker is like, yeah, you know, it, it was just one of those things, I suppose. And and I, I don't know, like, did, did so we're, 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 we're having Jack Charlton, but we're not having the yeah, Celtic just, managing Catholic Martin. No. <laughs> like, what 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 certainly were things, as you said, were things with O'Neill. If he ever got a little bit testy again, it would have been probably a certain prickliness at times. But I don't never didn't necessarily have a prick problem with that. That's his personality. That's the way he can be. You know, would would have gone on a, a lot about uh, oh, you know, if Robbie Keane was younger mm. and and probably been you know, what else can I do with these players? And I think that's probably grated on people a bit. There was never, 
ever like I don't recall a single discussion you know even Joe and listen you know the way people are you know they'll sort of uh, away from the, the microphones and the cameras, you go. Oh, well, you know what was he on about to today? And you'll you'll know the little mannerisms and quirks of managers and people. Yeah. And go, oh, he was on about this again. He was on about that again. I just don't ever recall that being uh, no. on the radar he at was, all. He he got as I think about it now. He definitely there was a rolling of eyes and criticism if he talked too much about Clough or his playing that, days. That, that was the yeah, the Clough Forest stuff. Sorry, that was it. Yeah, yeah. That was, I mean, and and that sense of you know any problems here, they ain't on, down to me. It's the tools I'm working with that, you know, and Stephen Kenny has managed in opposition to that. He has never once yeah. criticised the tools he's working with, whereas O'Neill did. And O'Neill was on record numerous times like, saying, look, the players in effect is what he was saying. Yeah. But I would just say one thing. Um, yeah, media critical of, of the football and we were here, but I'm, I'm sorry to read he feels that he that he feels that he isn't liked here. Or that yeah. he's, he's not held in I don't think that's high true. regard. I, 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 re- true. I think there was there were criticisms and all of these tenures tend to end in failure. I mean, even Jack ends, you know, it's he gets to wave to everyone at Anfield, but there was a degree of your time is up. But like I I think with O'Neill and Keane, that era, yeah, some of that stuff around the fringes that we've just referenced is remembered. But ultimately, they do have 2016. They do have the Robbie yeah. Brady moment. They do have the two of them arm in arm after the win against Italy and kissing each other and looking at each other yeah. and everyone behind them like I think you know ultimately I, I'm i not his PR advisor and mm. maybe he doesn't care but I, I would almost suggest to him yeah there was criticism from media everyone gets that don't take that personally because if you're managing Ireland there's going to be bad results you're going to be criticised I would say lean into the fact that there were a lot of good days and if you were to do a if you were to walk down Grafton Street all you would get would be nods and Howie Martin and yeah. Eldon Martin and, and if he was to sit in here and do an interview it wouldn't be some grilling about, geez, you really messed things up for, you did a terrible job. There'd be a few questions for sure, but there'd be a lot of, there were some good days as well. And did you enjoy it? Yeah. I, uh, my, my sense reading the Sunday Times extract, and it was quite, we played this match, this happened, we played the next match, this happened. It, there was a lack of insight into the games. Yeah. It'd be a big criticism just from a, am I going to buy this book or not? It was, mm. it was fairly like on the surface stuff. Uh, but then there were lines about how we beat Germany and I was, I, you know, I wanted more time to gloat in almost to, I want to let the media know that, you know, I'm I'm doing a great job here and, and really stuff it down their, their throats. I didn't actually get a sense of someone enjoying the job and was paying too much heed to the mm. criticism. I dare say if I was the Republic of Ireland manager, I'd find it hard to shut off the criticism as well. It's a human thing. But I didn't get the impression reading the extract of someone who enjoyed his time. Yeah, no, it's true. Like it, it, and I said, it, it does read a little bit more like a diary rather than a book. You know what I mean? In the sense of like the chronological, this has happened, and and it's funny when you said he's, he's worked off handwritten notes. That's that. That yeah, I was shocked to read. It that, was a little you know? bit like McGeady scored. Yeah, scored a second. A bit, it, a bit odd. Of that. Yeah. Um. No, I I take your point. Like you know, um. Do you not think he'd get a great reception if he walked on Grafton? No, I I think I I was just thinking. Imagine like there's a ten year anniversary of like a twenty twenty six. Like the team are invited back. Yeah. Um. If he's called out over the the tannoy, is anyone booing? No. Mm. Like do you know what I mean, I think there'd be a, a, a strong response. Maybe not not the same warmth that you would have. Um. That Jack Charlton would have received, right? But I still think it'd be overwhelmingly positive. Like you know, people who maybe didn't enjoy the football or whatever. They're not going to be going mad over the top cheering or like uh, yeah. brilliant, but I think there'd be a quiet acceptance of, yeah, like it ended particularly badly, and I think, um, and I'd love this to, like to be sort of 
uh, tease that in future. I definitely do think there's a sense that O'Neill and Roy Keane are probably uh, they got on well, but probably quite similar personalities in some ways. Probably share a lot of views on uh, people. Both great players. Um, both probably quite. Um, you can even sense in their punditry they probably would take a, a slightly dim view of some of the more fashionable managers who are coming up who've got great like reputations. Maybe the ones that aren't haven't been great players. You kind of wonder there's a little bit there, and. I, I sometimes wondered if between them there was like an, an echo chamber towards criticism yeah. in the sense that, yes, like this line about Roy was coming around to my view towards the end of, of this being, yeah, like were they just telling themselves that this was the case sometimes? And look, it was particularly bad in the last year. Keith Andrews comes in for it because to be fair, he went really strong on them, you know, really, really critical about them. And I just think that the type of personalities they are, they're the ones that don't forget. They're the ones. So, so O'Neill had whatever in the end, what twenty thirteen to the guts of five years with Ireland. But I think the way that he carries certain things that really you know niggled at Adam and hurt him probably, and um, that last year is probably still too raw and too fresh. And maybe that's coloured his whole memory of his of his time there. Well, again, if. He feels that from the beginning, because that's the, that's the key point here, even from the beginning, he was perceived as an outsider. I dare say it wouldn't be the worst way to spend an hour to go back to the news articles the week he was announced and the week of his pr- first press conference and to see the warmth and the excitement that he yeah, had been brought the dream in. team, you know, the dream team. Like, <laughs> the, I, there, I rem- was, there were no crossed arms here. I there remember really like, he always made reference that home game with Scotland. It was June 2015. And I remember we used to do a little brief in, uh, in a side room after the main press conference. And I remember like it was a little bit of criticism and he was tetchy and unhappy with that and he would reference consistently later in the year when Ireland beat Germany and Bosnia what about you know the grief you were giving me in the summer I then I don't particularly have a problem with that like you know you get grief he was brought in to qualify he qualified you're entitled to have a go back you know? but that to, to maybe rewrite the history in the sense of saying that there was this underlying feeling of you're not one of us that was in some way there I just I don't I just don't I'd love to know I'd love to, presumably right he is a very specific recall of like he, he didn't name Pat Dolan but he remembered a Pat Dolan column about um, uh, after one of Germany. the games after the Germany game I'd imagine he would have people in his mind uh, when he's talking about this I'd love to hear who they are mm-hmm. I'd love to know that maybe maybe we're not listening and hearing everything maybe he was told some comments were made somewhere that might lead you to believe that but I certainly didn't. Yeah. Uh, well, well, look, I, heard him. I found as his time went on, he was such a prickly character and so quick to get a jibe in that it was hard to warm to him as it went on. It had nothing to do with where he's from. And by contrast, so O'Neill would still get a great reception yeah. at the Aviva or around Dublin. Giovanni Trapattoni, if he was brought out now at the Aviva Stadium or he walked down Dublin, would get the warmest, You're warmest right. of receptions. Yeah. And that was because because he wasn't in the country and because he didn't give a damn about <laughs> what Dan McDonnell and Joe Malloy had to say about all idiots, anything. He know. was like, you guys, your opinion is so irrelevant to me, Giovanni Trabitano. Yeah. It's not going to, it's water off duck's back. So he flew back to Italy. He either never heard it or never cared to hear it. And therefore he never got into this prickly back and forth with the media, by extension, the Irish public. Because when Tony Dunne Dunne is asking you a question, he's asking it on behalf of everybody. Yeah. And so it was never like this jibe back and this personal jibe back. Giovanni was always just like a gent to the end. Could you imagine if he was brought out at, a, at the Aviva 
incredible reception and his football is now harked back to yeah, it's true. critical terms and yet there is an affection for the man it's true so, but I, I think that's a personality thing he's an outsider as well yeah he's, guy, he's literally the guy from Italy who's in press conference in 2012 and he's talking to the Italian journalist and he's like gesturing over to the Dan McDonald's of the world <laughs> saying non è campeones look at these they're look not champions these, they don't these, understand these people, like, and we yeah. forgive him that I know, I know, yeah. and like, and so it, it's and the out like, that was the ultimate outsider coming over and saying, yeah. "These guys, they don't know anything about anything." Yeah, no, that's uh, listen, I I think that's bang on, and I think as well though, like, and like part of probably what made O'Neill very successful, like I think he, he always has that little bit of a combative streak in him. Big time. You know, like you would have spoke to people when he was appointed, and they would have like other media had worked with him, they would say that, and like, like that's part of makes him what he is you know so like he he wasn't a wise he wasn't coming into like some managers will come in sorry to cut across you will yeah. come in and they will they could be a lot more jovial but it may, it may actually be quite insincere well, and, I, and I actually quite as I said I never particularly had a mad problem with it because I thought well this is who he is and that's the, he's, he can be a little bit sort of niggly and like so what like but if you lose obviously that looks dreadful like that's the problem yeah, it's a great attitude point. when you're winning but when you're losing that obviously um sort of you know drains goodwill and unfortunately that last year yes, was just yes, so yes. bad then it looks worse and let's finish off in a very fair way because again all these ingredients go into making up who he is in his totality and he could get a big win with any of the teams he managed and yeah. I was speaking to a former Irish player who had worked under him and again that prickly difficult aspect to his character he could come in big team big game week big build up it's a certain tone be an aggression yeah. there'd, be, there'd be a niggle and like there'd be almost the tetchiness about the whole camp and then you'd go out and it would just come out in the night and you'd get the result and he's there and you're jumping up in the air like in his Celtic days like some of it which was you know we're saying led to a prickliness when things weren't going well Jeez, some of those ingredients make, made him like this manager who could get yep. a result like he could get a result so you have to you know in fairness to him it's a 3D version but I like I, I really hope he doesn't think he's disliked or that he's seen as Mr. Northern Irishman. No, no, I, I don't know. I just said that's off. I think the the discussion, the context of that discussion, is probably important to okay. frame in those quotes, maybe a bit. Okay, uh, we are pretty much out of time. Football and off the ball is brought to you by Sky. All the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport, Premier Sports. Dan McDonnell of the Irish Independent. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. Football on off the ball with Sky. Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, EFL, Scottish Premiership and much more. Live only on Sky Sports. This is News Talk.